it's really great to be here. And um, I popped in a few weeks ago, and it was lovely to see this auditorium getting fuller. And I know a lot of people are aware it's bank holiday weekend, but actually it's still fantastic to see such a strong number of people here. And uh, if you're fairly new here, if you've arrived here in the last year, you've hitched your wagon to a good church, right? It, it's, it's a great community of God's people here at Lee. And it's a real privilege to be speaking on the parable of the persistent widow today to uh, finish our series on parables. If you want to know what persistence looks like, you only have to look at the nearest young child. <laughs> we, even have, we even have someone who's demonstrating for us. If a young child wants something, they ask and ask and ask, and they won't give up until you give in or put them in another room. <laughs> and... You know, I can remember a time when our son, I think from the ages of about seven until actually he kept it going till he was about 11 or 12, virtually every day he asked for a dog. And because we're such mean parents, we'd already made up our mind that we weren't going to get a dog. <laughs> and so because we didn't give in, he kept going. I could not believe how he kept going. Mum, can I have a dog? Mum, it would be good for me if I had a dog. <laughs> And then, of course, he tried the other one. Dad, mum says I can't have a dog. But you wouldn't say that, would you? <laughs> and he kept going and going and going. We ended up just to try and appease him a little bit, buying him calendars every Christmas with dogs on. <laughs> this uh, video clip from Shrek illustrates the point quite well. Anyone experienced that or been that child on the back seat? The donkey so beautifully depicts, doesn't he? He depicts the, the behaviour of a child. That's tenacity, that's persistence, and Jesus wants us to apply the principle of persistence to prayer. So he tells this parable, reading from Luke 18, uh, verse 1. Then Jesus told this parable to show that, that, that we should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he'll see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus is telling this story with a very... It's, it's, there's no hidden message in the story of the persistent widow, is there? It tells us straight away what Jesus is trying to achieve. He's trying to show us two things, what our attitude should be towards prayer, but also what God's attitude is towards our prayers. It's got humor in it because the widow basically drives the judge nuts, doesn't she? She comes back again and again and again until he finally gives in. But there's also a serious side to it because a widow would have been one of the most powerless people in her society in those days. In the ancient world, being a widow was extremely difficult. So you would have been probably through widowhood cast into poverty. You would have lost your status in society because your status would have depended on the status of your husband. 
You would have lost your main income because your main income would have been via your husband. And you may not have been eligible to inherit your husband's property, so you may even have lost your home. So it's a serious parable as well. And this woman's adversary, whoever that was and whatever they'd done to her, was presumably more powerful than her. They continued to go unpunished for whatever they'd done, and she had no power leverage at all except her persistence. It's likely the issue was a financial one, and its resolution or otherwise could have been the difference between her family being cast into complete destitution or just managing to survive. Added to that, the judge is not a very nice person. I mean, the last thing you want is someone with responsibility like this who really doesn't care about people, doesn't even care about God. Now, in those days, the Hebrew judges were meant to, in, on one level, represent God's justice. And in Psalm 68, as in many other places in the Old Testament, um, it says, God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. So the Hebrew judge had a role in society to particularly defend the weak, to weigh all the evidence fairly between two people who had a case against each other, and then to make a judgment on the basis of evidence. But this judge wasn't just, and he didn't care about God, and he certainly didn't care about people. But despite that, because of this woman's persistence, he gives in. And God's trying to draw here. Jesus is is sharing God's words with us, trying to draw this strong contrast between God, who is a defender of widows, and this unjust judge who doesn't care. And he's saying God is the polar opposite to the unjust judge. And therefore, there's also a contrast in the way we pray. We don't pray persistently out of hopeless desperation like the persistent widow had to. We actually pray persistently because we have a God who is just. He's the one who vindicates people in the end. He will one day be the judge of all people. And so we come to him persistently, not out of desperate hopelessness, but with faith. Jesus asks that question, doesn't he? So when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So what this is encouraging is faith. Now, what does faith look like? It's not a strong feeling, necessarily. It's acting on the truth about God, right? It's just acting on it. It's, it's, it's taking a step of faith and obedience. And that is the call to persistent prayer. Believe that God is who he is, who he truly is. He's a just God. He cares about justice. He cares about truth. And he is our loving, gracious, compassionate, heavenly father. How much more will he grant justice to those who persist in calling on him? We don't have to twist his arm. We're not trying to wring something out of him that he doesn't want to give. God wants to do us good. And he wants to do good in our world. So what happens if we do pray persistently? Let's take a look at that. First of all, I say that God shapes us. And sometimes the delay in our prayers being answered is actually giving more time for God to shape us. It's giving time for God to show us his perspective on the thing that we're praying about. When we come to God again and again, we're entering into a two-way conversation with him about the different issues that we bring to him. And it's like we're thrashing out life together with him. 
And that's what he wants us to do. That's what he invites us to do. Prayer isn't something holier than thou, something that only certain very holy people can do. Prayer is conversation with God where we thrash out life together. We come with all our fears and hopes. And God begins to show us ourselves and show us our situation in its true perspective. And he pours his love and compassion into our hearts, even as we come to him to appeal to him in prayer. Secondly, when we pray persistently, we are again and again joining our prayers with a much more powerful prayer that is going on all the time. Jesus is praying for us. I can remember the first time I read that in the Bible and I thought, really? That's amazing. All the time. It says in Hebrews 7, verse 20, chapter 7, verse 25, that Jesus forever lives to intercede for us. That is amazing. Before we even pray, Jesus is already praying for us. And so when we pray, our prayers unite with his prayers, which are by far more powerful than our own prayers. And then thirdly, when we persist in prayer, God lifts our eyes to his cause. We may start off praying for ourselves, but actually God begins to lift our eyes as we pray with persistence. Sometimes unanswered prayer causes us to ask all sorts of questions that actually God wants us to ask. He wants us to reflect on our lives and on our world and our place in our world and his heart for his world. So matters of social justice start to matter to us. If we persist in prayer, we'll find that when we hear uh, terrible news from other parts of the world, we are driven with a desire to pray. God starts to inhabit our hearts and our prayers in a new way through persistent prayer. And by golly, the world needs it, hey? The church needs it. If you look at the church worldwide, there is a lot of pressure and even quite extreme persecution in some parts of the body of Christ in other parts of the world. Many of us are aware of that. Some of us are from nations where that happens. If, if you're sitting here for, and you, you have anything to do with northern Nigeria, you will know the problems. And, and all of us know about the girls that were kidnapped by Boko Haram. So the pressures on Christians can be extreme in other parts of the world. North Korea has more Christians in prison than any other nation. Whole families, grandmas, young children who have been rounded up and taken into prison because of their faith in Christ. Babies are born in prison because they are born into Christian families. Our minds can't get around that kind of situation, but we are called to pray, to always keep on praying for all the saints, it says in Scripture, doesn't it? Pray on every occasion with all kinds of prayers and requests. And as we pray persistently, I believe God does something in us to lift our eyes to the needs of others and to begin to pray for our world and engage with the difficulties of our world. There's a global refugee crisis, isn't there, at the moment, which we're all well aware of. And millions are praying for peace in our fractured world and for, for justice for the poor. But many more Christians are not praying. Why? Because it just seems such a big challenge, such a huge challenge. Can God address that kind of question? Now, <laughs> when I ask it like that, of course, we're all going to say, well, yeah, of course, he's God. He can. But when it comes to our day-to-day -day prayers... Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? Or, to put it even more directly, will he find faith in my life? Will he find me responding in faith to the terrible things I hear on the news and praying 
for his justice and his righteousness and his peace in our world. You see, what this parable teaches us is to keep on praying, to pray and never give up, however difficult our own circumstances, however difficult the circumstances of other people are. This is kingdom praying, isn't it? It's what Jesus taught his disciples and therefore us to do, to pray, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So finally, what happens when we pray persistently? There are answers. There are rewards. God acts. He may not act straight away, but he will act. All prayer counts. There's this amazing vision in in, uh, that, that John shares in the book of Revelation about the prayers of the saints raise, you know, continually ri- rising up like incense before the throne of God. Every prayer is always there. Have you thought of that? Every prayer is always there. Prayers don't vaporize, even when we stop praying. But that encourages us to pray more, not less. So God works on our behalf and on behalf of the oppressed and the poor through persistent prayer. He brings justice for us and for them. If you're on the side of truth, then he will champion your cause. If you're working in an area where you are trying to uh, to bring justice for, for those who deserve it, God is on your side. He will champion your cause. Pray with faith. God wants to work through you. And for those who are unjust towards others... It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Vengeance belongs to God, not not us. And that's what Jesus taught. He said, pray for those who persecute you. He said, love your enemies. So it's not for us to ever seek vengeance. We can pray for people and place them into God's hands. And who knows, he may bring them to repentance in the end. I was looking for an example of prayer that had brought about change in a situation that seemed completely beyond redemption. And I came across a a story at at the Alpha Global Conference this year of a guy called Emmanuel who was caught up in the the Rwandan genocide. It's quite hard to watch in a way, but at the same time you realize that God is able to turn things around. Um, The most extreme of situations. The Bishop of Rwanda said, without earnest, believing, trusting prayer to Jesus, there will be no way to rebuild a peaceful society in Rwanda. Some things can only be done on your knees. And do you know, I think in some ways when life is relatively comfortable for us, which it is, it's, it's almost like the stimulus to pray is less acute. But the need is just as great, isn't it? The need is just as great. God can redeem what appears to be the unredeemable as we persist in prayer. So I'd like to turn uh, to a very practical question now, because we might all be convinced that praying persistently, both about our own needs, but also the needs in our troubled world, is important and worth doing. But there's a question, isn't there? How? But how? But how? And so I'm going really basic now. Call this a how's your prayer life doing MOT. (laughs) And think about how you weave prayer persistently into your life. Because how do we learn to pray consistently, let alone persistently?
So I, I've read quite a few books on prayer because I'm totally fascinated by what I call the prayer equation. Okay, so we pray and God does amazing things. We pray and God does things that we cannot do. None of us can save people. None of us can change the hearts of man. None of us can really change our own hearts. We need God. We need the saving power of Jesus to change us. But we pray. We do really quite a simple thing, and he does an amazing thing. So the first thing we need really is not to read a whole pile of books on prayer, but to actually pray. <laughs> we learn to pray by praying and by realizing how great our need is for God in our lives. You see, <laughs> Jesus deliberately chose a, a widow, one of the most powerless people in society, because her extreme need would have been very obvious to everybody he was talking to. But the reality is we are all in extreme need of God in our lives day by day. Now, we don't often feel that. We run to God without even thinking about it when we're in a crisis. But actually, we need God's presence and God's power in our lives every day. Jesus put it quite bluntly when he was addressing his disciples shortly before he was arrested and crucified. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I've chosen you, I've called you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then he says these wonderful words, without me, you can do nothing, nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. In other words, without leaning into Jesus, without prayer, we cannot bear the fruit in our lives that Jesus has planned for us to. So, Day by day, if we're going to live for him, if we're going to live in faith, if we're going to bring faith to the table of whatever we're doing in life, we need to pray consistently. On one level, you know, prayer's easy. I don't know if you'd agree with that statement. <laughs> you probably agree with my latest statement that prayer's hard. But prayer, on one level, is really easy because prayer is not a special technique. Prayer is just pouring out our hearts to God. It's just being ourselves with God, coming with all of our muddled up worries and anxieties, and throwing them at God and saying, God, I'm here, and there's this that I'm concerned about. I, I, I want you to help me with that. And just really being ourselves. Also, it helps us to realize that more of our lives are prayer than we might have thought. Have you ever stopped to think, what is prayer? It's not simply words. It's not only the time that we set aside to pray. It's also when our thoughts and our heart rises up to God at different times of the day. In fact, prayer is every inclination of the heart towards God. So you are praying more than you thought. It's every inclination of the heart towards God. It includes silence. It includes tears. Sometimes our tears are the most powerful prayers that we pray. It includes wrestling with God, arguing with God, crying out for justice, and very short requests, even single words. I think probably the most powerful prayer I ever pray is, help! <laughs> and I usually pray that <laughs> about halfway through Alpha Saturday every time we do Alpha. <laughs> help! <laughs> because you know that God can unlock so much in people's lives. That God can reveal Jesus to people's hearts. And we can't do that, but he can. All we need then is truthfulness. And, you know, I have to watch myself 
because I'm chatty anyway, and I'm like that with God, and sometimes I do rabbit on for too long in prayer. And actually, Scripture tells us not to do that, doesn't it? (laughs) But you don't have to have long, clever-sounding prayers. I love hearing new believers pray because it's a reminder that prayer is just being honest with God. So we need to be truthful. We need to take off our masks with God. And in fact, if we're praying in a way that we think we ought to pray, then we're probably not praying very effectively. We just need to pray as we are. Someone said, we need to pray as we are and not as we would like to be. Don't try and wait until you're holy enough to pray, otherwise you'll never pray. When we're ourselves with God, God can do something with us and he does. It helps us to think about our personality as well and also the particular constraints of our lifestyle. I can remember when all three of our children were very small, um, thinking, Lord, I don't know why you expect me to pray, because I have not got a moment. I can't even go to the living piece. <laughs> and, and I just felt like God was saying, I'll make a little bit go a long way. And so I used to just set aside little bits of time, and I used to work a deal with my husband. He'd look after the kids for an afternoon so I could have some time just being quiet before God. And uh, the first thing you do is think of 10 things you need to do downstairs when you, as a mum, you set aside time to pray. (laughs) So you write those things down for later. You just find ways of learning to become undistracted so that you pray. But, you know, maybe you're a single parent here. You'll have to do a deal with another single parent and swap kids so that you can each have some time to be alone with God. Are you a fidget well, I've become a fidget because unco- I've got a bit of a problem with my back, so I get uncomfortable if I sit for too long. Dry- I'm likely to drive everyone mad. I fidget, I fidget in meetings. I fidget around the dinner table. I stand up after a while because I get uncomfortable. So rather than fidgeting when I'm praying, I walk and pray. That's how I pray these days. I walk all around the streets. In fact, I had thought once, <laughs> I would be employed by the local police, really, because <laughs> I walk and pray so much, I see an awful lot of what goes on in Catford. <laughs> So walk and pray if you're a fidget like me or if you have the opposite problem and fall asleep every time you sit down. Ask yourself the question, am I a spontaneous person or am I a person who loves routine? Because that ought to affect then how you weave prayer into your life. You'll do that a different way if you're a spontaneous person to if you're a lover of routine. Does music draw you into the presence of God? Then put music on when you pray. When's your best time of day? When are you most awake? And where in your day can you carve a niche of time to lift your heart to God? All questions to think about while we're doing this little prayer MOT here. (laughs) But on another level, as we all know, prayer is actually very hard. It seems like there's 101 things that want to distract us from prayer. And there probably are. (laughs) We live such complicated lives. We do need discipline to get down to prayer and to keep going. Yet discipline leads to real freedom in prayer. Discipline is never an end in itself. It's there to help us get there. Richard Foster put it well when he said, it's harder to pray inconsistently than to pray consistently in the same way that it's harder to play a good game of tennis when we only practice once in a while. That was out of Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home, which is still my favorite book on prayer by Richard Foster. So if we only practice occasionally, if we only pray occasionally, then it actually is harder to pray consistently. But if we practice regularly, if we exercise some discipline, then prayer becomes a more natural part of our lives. 
The discipline of prayer is put in its, to its proper perspective when we remember our relationship to God. He's our Father in heaven. And through faith in Jesus, we're adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. And Jesus himself used this word, Abba. Abba, Father. Abba and Imma, Mummy and Daddy. Uh, the first two words that a, a Jewish child would have learned. And no one throughout all the history of Judaism until Jesus used the word Abba to address God in prayer. I mean, the, the faithful Jew wouldn't even want to utter the divine name of God, uh, let alone to use a term of intimacy to address God. So what Jesus did by, by saying, when you pray, say, our Father, Abba, Father. What he was saying was actually quite shocking in his context but it was telling us what our relationship with God is. And it's a relationship of intimacy with our Heavenly Father, brought about not by anything we've done, not by how many hours we've prayed, but by the fact that Jesus died to reconcile us to God and bring us close to the Father. So we're invited into that same intimacy with the Father that Jesus knew while he walked this earth. And we're encouraged to come simply as we are and boldly, like a child pestering their parents, um, but to the, our perfect, loving, heavenly father who's better than our earthly parents. We can be ourselves and in the father's arms, there's complete acceptance, forgiveness, comfort, strength, love, actually all that we need. And in reality, God, our father in heaven, wants to be with us much more than we want to be with him. He's waiting for us. So prayer becomes jumping into the arms of the one who loves us more than anyone else. Why wouldn't we? You see, the thing is that we have other loves, don't we? We have other things that we are so attached to that at any given moment, those things seem more appealing than running to our Father in heaven who loves us more than we can know. But if we can just put those things aside, learn how to put those things aside often enough, to, to run into God's presence, we will want more of him. That's how it works. It's like a snowball. Once you get praying regularly, the discipline actually becomes less necessary because you are motivated to go. And also, isn't there that wonderful thing of when you pray in the morning and your day goes so much better? <laughs> and you think, uh, why don't I do that every day? If we really want something enough, we will make a plan. So I'm suggesting as part of the prayer MOT, we all make a plan. Make a start on a plan. Some people find it helpful to go to a special place, a particular location to pray, even to sit in a particular chair to pray because they have that association with sitting there and with praying and it makes it easier. If I'm really getting serious with God about something that I feel is an urgent need, I get down on my knees by the side of my bed and somehow, for me, that means, hey, God, I'm serious. Diary in time to be alone with God, just like you make appointments to see other people. I found that works for me because otherwise my time is quite full. Simplify life so you can make time for prayer. Patterns of prayer can be helpful. Some people, as I said, you know, will pray when they're walking like I do. Other people will pray in the morning. Some people are more awake in the evening. But um, praying with a, with a pattern that suits you is really helpful because then you have, it's like when you clean your teeth, right? You all have a particular time. I hope you all clean your teeth. <laughs> I 
to put my nurse hat on in a bit, here in a minute. I hope you all clean your teeth twice a day. <laughs> but I hope you all pray twice a day, at least. But make it a habit, and then you don't have to think about it. So what's going to work? Think about some of the questions I raised earlier of weaving prayer into your lifestyle. I find having a day out with God is fantastic, you know. I put a, a date in my diary. I'm going out with God. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm, my phone is switched off. I'm not going to check my emails. I'm not going to check my phone. I'm going out to do something I like doing, but not with anyone else. I'm just going to be chatting to God the whole day in my head. Now, um, if you see me walking up the road chatting, just tap me on the shoulder. <laughs> my intention is that it stays in my head okay so I don't get locked up. <laughs> But set aside time, good time, to be with God. He's waiting for you. He's longing for your company. Have you ever thought about the word holiday, where it comes from? Holy day. You know, holy means to be set apart. So holidays were God's idea. Hey, holidays are God's idea. (laughs) In your holidays, set apart some time to be with God. And... my husband and I, we did this great deal when our kids were growing up. Because, of course, that, we all know if your parents are here. Sorry to give so many parent analogies. But if your parents are here, uh, if, you're, if you are parents here, you know that when you go on holiday, you get less rest than usual. Isn't that true? Because you're in a different place, and the kids don't settle, and they don't sleep at night. And, and you think, this is supposed to be a holiday. But we, we did this deal thing where every year we try and go away for two weeks somewhere, even if it meant, you know, going and staying in someone else's house while they were away on holiday. We'd find a way of going away. And uh, I would have a whole day, just me and God and whatever I wanted to do. And Dickie would have the kids, and he'd spend loads of money and take them all to all these different things, you know, adventure parks and stuff. <laughs> and then we'd swap, and he'd have a whole day, and I'd have the kids. And, you know, you can, and you team up with other people if you're a single parent, and work, work out ways to do it. It it brings huge rewards. And there are many other things we could say about how to help us pray. Praying with others, of course, is an obvious one. Um, We meet once a month on a Sunday afternoon, with some of the people are here, actually, with a group of people who are motivated to pray for some of the, 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 the really serious needs in our world today and to support people who are working in areas of social justice. And we just meet and pray together, and it's fantastic to be with others who have a similar burden in prayer and we encourage one another to keep going in prayer, to be persistent. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, for that is what we are. We're God's children. When we pray, we're running to the person who loves us more than anyone else. To pray is to relate to God. And when we enter into prayer, we're entering into his love. And that's what we need to remember, because prayer has actually got a bad press. Prayer has become thought of as something that has to be rigidly done in certain set ways. And there, you are a unique individual, therefore you, can I suggest, you will pray completely uniquely. It's a unique relationship that you share with your Father in heaven. And prayer is where you find your greatest joy. And strength, and help. And answers to prayer, because God does all of those things. He shapes us, and he answers our prayers. So God, our Father in heaven, is waiting for us. Jesus is already praying for us. And God has also sent his Holy Spirit 
to help us pray. So it says in Romans 8, uh, we don't know what, we don't know how to pray. We often don't, do we? We don't know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. The Holy Spirit enables us to pray when we don't know how to pray, which so often we don't. We are not without help. And uh, I'd just like to finish with those famous words from Luke 11, which is another occasion where Jesus was teaching his disciples on prayer and the Holy Spirit. And he said these words, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil compared with God, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And let me just say Jesus' words from the end of the parable again. However... When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in us? Will he find faith on the earth?